When do you hit that sweet spot in your mortgage that you can think about using the equity in your home to buy an investment property? How do you go about talking to banks and your accountant about the possibilities? Today, we're going to find out how you can use the equity in your home to build that investment portfolio you've always wanted and make your capital worth grow. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Langda. Real Estate Right is ranking in Apple Podcasts' top 40 of how-to podcasts in Australia, and we want to celebrate. We are making a great difference to those who are buying, selling, renting, and investing, and we would like you to capitalize on this niche market and advertise your business right here on our Real Estate Right podcast. You could be a removalist, a vacate cleaner, a conveyancer, a real estate franchise, an insurance company, or even a power company. Anything that is affiliated with relocating because we target an audience that is on the move. Call Lisa at Real Estate Right on 03 5977 to discuss how we can make your company a household name on Real Estate Right. Nalo Trafficanti, director and founder of Belmont's Accountants and Advisors, has had 35 years experience in structuring and advising clients about how to purchase property. Welcome Nello, how are you? I'm very well Sue, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for joining us on Real Estate Right today. Now, Belmont's is a relatively new name in accounting, but as we've just said, you've been an accountant helping people buy property for over 35 years. So tell us a little bit about Belmont's. Well, yeah, I like to describe Belmont's as a 35-year overnight success. So um, yeah, on the 1st of January this year, I, I left the accounting practice I was at for 35 years, 23 of which I was a partner to um, start my own firm. So I took some clients, took all of my staff, and I haven't literally hung up my shingle, but um, rented some space, fitted it out. So if you hear some banging and and whatnot in the background, it's my um, reception desk going in. And um, we've hit the ground running as of the 1st of January, which was quite interesting. Uh, Yes. And and we're into it now, so uh, it's good. We're we're getting settled uh, as we speak. Well, that's good to know. Now, on the topic of today, we're talking about using the equity to buy investment properties. So there are a lot of homeowners out there making monthly repayments on their home loans, but not realising that there is plenty of capital in their homes to leverage it to buy an investment property. So what percentage of equity should we have in our home to start looking at investing? Um, I would like to say uh, that you would have a significant amount. So I would suggest that you would probably talk to your bankers and and explore this option when you have somewhere in the vicinity of 80% equity in in your home. Yeah. Then then it would be appropriate to go out and and re-gear. I mean, the cost of money today is is very, very cheap. So uh, property prices are going through the roof. So it's an opportune time to undertake the exercise only to inform yourself. But if it was 75%, 77%, I'd, I'd probably give it some consideration, but there's, there's more to the, just the equity in your home that you would need to consider before jumping in buying a, an investment property. 
Yeah, fair enough. Now, what type of properties make the best investments for first-time investors? That that depends. People have got varying opinions. So a lot of people like uh, houses, yeah, townhouses and, and whatnot, and a lot of people like units and the apartment type, type uh, investment. So um, my advice would be invest in whatever you want that will give you the capital growth and, and the return that you're looking for. So if it's a, a property out in the suburbs, by all means, if it's a, a unit in uh, the inner city, that's fine as well. Uh, so there's no hard and fast rule. It also depends on where you want to, if you live in a certain suburb, you might want to be close by to the rental property so you can go past and, and have a look and just keep an eye on it. Um, yeah. so for example, if you lived in St Kilda, uh, you might want to buy in and around that area. If you lived out in the suburbs in, for example, Glen Waverley, um, that's a different uh, dynamic out there. You're not going to find too many units and townhouses, although there are a lot of developments going up. So it's really what's in your price structure, what's in your budget, and yeah. what you've got an, an appetite for. Yes, I know what that's like when you're not living right next to a place that you own. Five o'clock this morning I wake up and I came um, across a message from my guests in my Airbnb, which is up on Lake Gildan, um, saying they had run out of gas because it's gas bottles. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. So I sent messages to my neighbours, any chance? Like I first I ordered gas bottles <laughs> and then I... Ask my neighbours, can you quickly just put a temporary one over? Just, just, just to throw one over them. the fence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> throw one over the fence or something. Yeah, and um, anyway, I've just before we got on this morning, um, yeah, called to well, the the guest confirmed at about ten past eight. Yeah, it's all sorted. Thanks for that. Um, and uh, I just called my neighbour. Said, oh, you know, how'd that happen? She goes, oh, and she's like, oh, I think he kept meaning to check it. He just never did it. But you raise a, you raise a good point. The other the other thing you should everybody should consider is getting a very very good property manager to to look after these things. Yes, you've said in your circumstances you're in uh, sunny Somerville. Your gas bottle runs out in Lake Eildon. It's it, you, you can't just whip around the corner and, and replace it. No, that's where a good agent would um, either get on the front foot or have taken care of it. So um, the key to your success in my opinion, is we're all busy doing what we're doing. So really, really yeah. look hard and work hard to invest in a very, very good real estate agent. When it comes to investing, you should really have a team of people who help you. Um, now, who are those people that we should have on our team? Um, that's, a, that's a really good point. Your team should consist of probably three or four people, a uh, yeah. person probably the most important person is a bank manager yeah, or a finance broker or a, a, the person's going to organise yeah. to arrange to lend you the money. Secondly, yeah. a, a very, very good uh, lawyer to make sure that the conveyancing is done and attended to properly, that your adjustments are calculated properly on settlement. Yeah. And, and finally, um, the third parcel would be uh, the real estate agent. Yeah. The add-on... And the fourth one is the accountant, of course. Well, we'll see. No, they people who know your situation. Yeah, sorry. Well, yes. It, we'll assume you've got the accountant. You've had an accountant um, already, so yeah. he or she should be able to pick up the pieces for you. Um, and then, directly related to the property, though, then is your, your property maintenance uh, or manager. So, if you've got the three, what we'd call the three pillars: the um, the financier, the lawyer, and the real estate agent. You're, you're pretty well set 
to, to undertake your property investment. Then I'll go and talk to your accountant down the track about uh, what uh, he or she can do for you uh, as far as your income tax go. Yes. I was just sort of thinking um, that 70 to 75% or 70 to 80% equity in your home, that's a big, big number. A lot of people would be trying to do that on a smaller number, wouldn't they? Well, they would, but the problem then is that the bank would will only lend probably up to 80% of the value of the property. So you'd need to be able to come up with a sizable chunk of a deposit. So if you've got a, if you've got bigger equity in your home, that may overcome the okay. bank's nervousness. Yeah. And may require you not to have to throw in a ton of spare money. So if you've got a lot of equity in your house, you can say, here you go, bank, take the home. Um, I can't come up with a deposit, but you've got, you know, two properties combined with a significant amount of equity in them, that should give you comfort. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. It's it's all about that deposit, isn't it? Yes. If you don't want to fork out that deposit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All good. What sort of return should we be looking at to make it a worthwhile project, all right, well, essentially? Properties, uh, properties unusual. In, uh, um, initially, your, your income return is going to be negative, as we probably are all aware that the rent may cover the expenses. So you're actually putting money into an asset that's that's not generating a positive return for you. But so if you mm-hmm. if someone said to you, go and invest, you know, eight hundred thousand dollars in some shares and you're not and it's going to be losing money in the first five to ten years, you'd scratch your head and say, well, what the hell's going on? So obviously everybody yeah. looks to property for the capital appreciation. Mm. So your in, your immediate return would be uh, next to zero, but you would want to, in in my opinion, get it positively geared as quickly as you can simply so that you're not having to fund that that shortfall on a regular basis because it's after-tax dollars and subject yeah. to everybody's marginal rate. That could be an expensive exercise. Um, and yeah. you would hope back it in that you've chosen an area that will appreciate over time and, and look to, you know, sort of double over the, the next 10 to 20 years, then that, that's a good investment. So you would want to look for capital appreciation and, and good rental returns. Um, and today, if you were getting sort of a, a 5% income yield, you'd, you'd chop someone's arm off to get that. So anything, yeah. better, anything better than the bank interest rates at, at this point from an income return, take it. And then capital growth would be subject to the areas and, and parts of Melbourne or wherever you're looking to invest as to how yeah. to grow. Yeah. And out of that 5%, thinking that's the golden number, we pretty much need to put money away for things like maintenance or property management fees, council rates, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, add that 5%, you're probably looking at about 2%. Yes, maybe. yes. So the golden rule for, for, for me with property investors is to have a bank account purely designed to collect your rent and pay your expenses out of. Now, that's, that's, the, that's the best rule of thumb. Then you can... You can yeah. The, the interest on the mortgage from that account. And it's very easy to maintain and, and keep your records and see exactly what's going on um, with your rental property. Now, from time to time, you might get caught out with a, an expensive repair, an unforeseen repair, so you can top it up with your own money. That way um, you would know what you've contributed to the bank account. That was a loan from Sue. That was a loan, another loan yeah. from Sue. Um when, you come, when it comes time to doing your income tax, it's a very simple and easy process to summarise that for your accountant, not, mm-hmm. not to mention what the real estate would, agent would give. 
Um, yeah. And your, your finances are, are in, in control. If you're running everything out of your own check account, your own bank account, that's your own personal account, it's a bit hard yeah. to say, was that for the rental property? Was that for my home? So I always encourage my clients to have a bank account purely for their investment properties, which mm-hmm. makes life a whole lot easier to uh, keep track of. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Yes, I'm always with mine. No, loan from Sue. <laughs> in mind with but that's okay it's um it's, it's part of the process one case i didn't get a rent check for um a couple of months and i thought what's going on here and all of a sudden um i couldn't pay a couple of bills so i actually rang my then cba bank manager and said can i have a very small overdraft in case this happens again so that i avoid these embarrassments and he was quite happy to give me a five thousand dollar overdraft just in case the real estate agents didn't forward the rent checks across or, or i got caught short so that might be a exercise to, to speak to your bank manager about and I'm sure that for five grand they're not going to lose sleep but it gives you peace of mind of knowing that you can yeah. sort of write that check should you need to. Yeah, fair enough. We will have a short break and come back with more from Nello Traffic County from Belmont Accountants and Advisors to find out some of the best ways to set up your property investment for the tax man and what common mistakes people make when investing. You're listening to Real Estate Right, and we are talking to the amazing Nello Trafficanti from Belmont's Accountants and Advisors about using the equity in your property to buy an investment. So, Nello, how do we structure a property purchase to make it tax effective? Uh, That's a great question, Sue. So, what I try and do to my clients or with my clients is actually think about the end, and we set up the beginning with the end in mind. So one of the biggest mistakes people will make is that um, uh, you and I are um, together. I'm old school. You'd be my girlfriend, not my partner, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or my wife or, or my fiance, and we're, we're away we go. You're earning some income. I'm earning some income. So we go off and we buy the rental property together in joint names. Yes. Life moves on, as you might be aware, and... Only you can get pregnant, which means that you would have to stop working and I would continue to work, obviously, because I'm not raising the kids. However, that property is still half in your name and half in mine. So all of a sudden, those deductions are not worth the, um, the, the, the bang for your tax buck in your name because you've got no income to offset them against and I'm only yeah. getting half of them as the person that continues to work. So um, always consider that in mind when yeah. you set the property. Now... Whoever it is, if it's Sue that's the big the breadwinner on you, I would always try and load the property in the name of the biggest income earner. Yeah. Person most likely to continue to keep working um, and, and, and set it up that way such that then you will get your rental deductions and rent and, and your tax dollars back because you've got income to offset it against. Yeah. People then usually ask questions about tenants in common and, and things like yeah. that. So. If you're not sure, if you, you know, if you're not sure, so you and I, we're not sure. I might, but we were planning on starting a family. Then you might say, "Well, look, I'll, I'll put ten percent in you as tenant in common, and ninety percent in me." That's that's sort of the best of a bad of a worst choice. But you need to think about what the plans are for the future and structure it such that you put the rental property deductions in the hands of the person that can best use them from an income tax point of view. 
yeah, fair enough. Yes. But, you know, if it was you or me, like I had babies and they came to work with me when they were three days old. So, you know, I was always working. You're a machine. You are. So you are a machine. <laughs> I know. I actually saw a house yesterday and the lady goes, I, re- I sold my house um, probably 19 years ago with this particular agent. And I said, I probably wrote the copy back then. I would have been carrying a baby with me, you know, as in the baby Bjorn. And she's like, yeah, actually, now to come to think of it, yeah, I think it was you. Like, yeah, would have been me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now, we've got a listener question here. Lydia from Sunshine wants to know, do we need to set up an ABN or a trust to invest in property? Yeah, really good question. So the short answer is no, not, not uh, ABN not required. Uh, yeah. um, there's no GST uh, pass through for you as a rental property owner. And yeah. the establishment of a trust is a question I get asked uh, a lot. So... Yes, you can use a trust to buy your investment property or properties in, absolutely. But you need to bear in mind that the negatively geared losses will then stay trapped in that family trust. So if your negatively geared loss is $10,000 every year, the trust will lose $10,000 in year one, thanks, lose $10,000 in year two, thanks, and carry them forward until such time as there's income that lands in that family trust. So... Unless you've got a trust that you know will have income injected into it from other sources over uh, over the period of time, you need to think very carefully about how to structure it. So if your goal is to get negatively geared benefits, you would strongly consider not using a trust mm-hmm. unless the property was almost positively geared straight away. Yeah. Yeah, and it's going to take a while to get that positively geared yeah. You know, yeah. situation. So it? if negative gearing is, is your goal... Uh, with a with a view to acquiring property, having the tax man fund some of the pain initially, but capital growth, then you probably want to think about it in your name whilst you're earning income. All good. Now, what can we claim as depreciation? There's a lot of things that you can claim, So, but there's a trap and uh, there, there's a heap that you can claim uh, for depreciation. So um, uh, things like uh, all your hand towels, fire control, bedroom assets, telecommunications and whatnot. It's it's detailed. So my advice is if you want to use depreciation um, as, a, as a tax deduction, get a quantity surveyor's report done straight away once you've bought the property. Okay. You could ask the vendor if they have one. And if yeah. they do, then you could just simply acquire, acquire that from them and continue to carry on their deductions going forward. But... A QS report is um, is paramount if you want to get a capital works or depreciation deduction. But here's the kicker. Whatever capital works and deduction bundle you use, so let's say, for example, in our million-dollar purchase that we decide to depreciate $200,000 worth of fixtures and fittings, mm-hmm. your tax cost base becomes $800,000. So when we sell the property at some point in time and make a massive capital gain, our capital gain will not run on the million dollars. It will run on $800,000 minus whatever we get for it down the track. So there's a little bit of clawing back that happens in mm-hmm. claiming a capital works deduction. So again, with the end in mind, if the, the property is likely to be held for a short period of time, 
maybe three to five years, you probably wouldn't claim the, de- the deduction so that you can maximise your capital gains tax cost base. Yeah. If the intention is to hang on to it forever and make the tax problem the grandchildren's, depreciate your health, go your hardest and, and write yeah. as, as, as much as you can, leave the grandkids with a massive tax bill um, that they can worry about when, when and if they decide to sell the property. Yeah, and I wonder there's so many people who uh, hand the family home down generations. No. Yeah, because they probably know something that the grandkids don't. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Now, how about travelling to our property? Can we use that as a tax deduction? No, is the, the short answer. So, And that's a recent no, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is a recent no, yes, from the 1st of July 2017. Yeah. The only way, realistically, without becoming a um, charity or something of the sort, is that you would buy the property in a company, uh, and a company can get a deduction for uh, for, for travel, but... I wouldn't recommend it um, because a company's a terrible vehicle to hold an appreciating asset. So the short answer is if you want to go and travel, buy something on the Gold Coast uh, and uh, travel to go and see your property, that's gone as of the 1st of July 2017. How about when a property is vacant, is there any special deductions that we can make when a property is vacant? Yeah. Be careful that you don't do anything... uh, the rule of thumb is try and do everything in the property whilst it's letters, which is easier said than done. Yeah. So you need um, to paint or recarpet, you know. Well, no, you've got to be – that could be deemed capital. That could be deemed putting the property. So uh, our, our rental property is lead, tenants leave, um, and we decide we want um, floorboards. Uh, carpet's not bad, but we rip it up anyway. Um could be capital, not repairs, because that's just making the place um, more lettable yeah. or, or, or putting it in a better position. But if you no longer rent the property, then the cost of repairs may be deductible, provided that the need for the repairs is related to the period in which the property was used to produce income. So let's say the tenants um, smashed a wall accidentally whilst they're moving out, punctured a wall, we needed to fix some plaster, mm-hmm. I would... You would be able to claim that repair, um, but if it didn't relate to anything to do, so they've left. It's in reasonably good nick. We decide to give it a lick of paint, freshen up the carpets and whatnot. That expense would be deemed capital, getting the property ready to be yeah. let in that when it's when it's um, empty. So the trick is try and do as much as you can whilst it's occupied within reason, okay. obviously subject to what you're doing. Yeah. So if you need to replace blinds, do it when it's occupied. If you need to replace a yep. dishwasher or an oven or a hot water service, do it when it's occupied. Yeah, you would want to do that when it's lit. Get your agent to just get the, the trades yep. in and, and take care of it. Um, that, you know, coming in, giving it a clean and once over a clean, I would say would be deductible because, you know, you, you, you did that, uh, the, the, the dirt or it was dirty and grimy was because it, when the tenants were there. Yep. Yeah, like I said, if we decide to um, tile the floor, uh, do uh, put a, an extension on or we'll fix a kitchen bench or do something that's not necessarily required as repair and maintenance, that's that would be deemed capital, especially if it was empty. Okay. And so capital basically means that? You add that to the cost of the property. The cost of the property. Okay. Yeah. So if you paid half a million dollars for it, 
cost you 10 grand to get the bathroom retiled. It's now worth 510. Spot on. And so when you sell the property and you sell it for like 800, your capital is 290. The difference between 510. Yep. Spot on. Okay. So you've got to build up both little things going. You've got to have one going that way and you've got to have one, you know, and then appreciate you've got to, you've got to, it works two ways, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The other, the, the way, the best way to attack your property investment is let the, the property appreciate obviously over, over time. So that's, that's adding and, and doing that to your, your, your yeah. equity. And paying down the loan and getting real equity in the loan, you're, you're doing that at a much quicker rate. You're, you're yeah. expanding your balance net asset position a lot, lot quicker. What a lot of people do is just simply buy it. Don't do anything with a loan. Pay interest only and hope that it appreciates. Yeah. Whereas if you pay some principal down, um, your, uh, your your net asset value increases exponentially because you're you're retiring the debt and the property is growing at the same time. So it's a double edged sword. But you've got to balance retiring debt on an investment property versus retiring debt on your residential property, and, and all those sort of factors would need to be taken into account. Yeah, fair enough. Now, what are some of the common mistakes first-time investors make when buying the investment property? The biggest one is how they structure it. So we, we covered, um, we had a, a brief chat, but always think about the end in, uh, in keep the end in mind when you're making the decisions. Do we put it in joint names? Uh, do we um, put more of the property in the bigger income earner's name and less in the lower income earner's yeah. name? That's the first one. Um, the second one is um, uh, expecting you get deductions for going and visiting the property initially before you buy it. They're, they're all capital. They're not tax yeah. deductible. Um, and um, the other big trap is that people might undertake a capital improvement and think that they're going to get a tax deduction for it. So, for example, you um, have a gravel driveway and you don't like it and you pour concrete yeah. on it. That's Repair, that's that's a capital improvement generally or you uh, rip the tiles off the roof because they're, they're old and broken you put color bond that's a capital improvement it's not a repair okay. yeah it's just understanding so the repairs and maintenance that. in rental yeah. properties yeah yeah repairs and maintenance for rental properties attract the biggest the biggest ato attention of any line item in your tax return okay good to keep in mind that's right. for sure the only other thing, the only other trap is um, that people tend to fall into is um, the home loan. So you've got your mortgage on your home loan. You've, you've got it down to 80% equity in it um, and uh, there's still that 20% hanging rent. You redraw back up and go and buy the investment property. Then, then obviously, and you've only still got the one loan, you need to apportion the interest. So 80% of the interest every year thereafter is tax deductible and 20% isn't. Okay. If you use, so that's assuming you've got yourself this. You're using exactly the same home loan structure. Correct. And you're not getting a second loan. Correct. You're getting. Um, yeah. The other big trap is is where people might use their equity to go and buy a property that's not an investment property. So they go and buy a holiday house, and say, "Yeah, we're going to rent it. We're going to do this, and we want to claim a tax deduction for it." Well, again, yeah, you know, if the holiday home isn't producing income, the interest isn't deductible. As long as you're redrawing on your home loan to buy investment properties, the interest becomes deductible. Yeah. But uh, that's it. And then the, the next big trap is where 
you go and buy the place, tell the agent. So you go and buy a place in Sereno and say to the agent, listen, don't rent it between December and January because I'm going to use it. But for the rest of the year, you can. And I want to keep it in Easter and I want to do it. So the, the harder you make it for the agent to, to rent it, the whole purpose then becomes not tax deductible for you because your, your genuine reason was not to buy to, to produce income. It was more to fund a, a holiday house, really. So you yeah. buy a place, um, uh, for example, in Sereno, in your case, and you say, look, I want to go and use it. Your best time to go and use it is when no one else is using it and it's available to be let for the whole year. If you want to use it in January, I would strongly recommend, you, in, for example, in the Sereno example, I would stro- strongly recommend that you actually pay yourself the rent. Otherwise, you'll, look, you'll have to apportion your deductions over 11 months instead of 12. That's a clever way of doing it, isn't mm. it? My son's paying the rent for me while I'm staying there. Yep. And so it looks like it's all a well-oiled machine yeah. of constant income coming Correct. in. Or just simply say, no, we want to use it over December and January, that 10-month period. I will only claim 10 months of my outgoings and expenses rather than the whole year's worth. Yeah. So there's ways around doing these things. Yeah, there is. There is. And then the only other one is just non-commercial rent. So, again, your example, Sue goes and buys the the place. I'm going to put my son in it. I'm going to look after him. I'll charge him 200 bucks a week rent. The rent should really be five or six hundred dollars a week well then you'd have to apportion your expenses accordingly as well because you're not charging a commercial uh rental yeah if you charge commercial rent it it puts a limit on the deductions you can claim okay and that's a a specific ato term isn't it commercial rent yep yeah if you if you were lending uh renting to a non-arms length person you would just simply say to the agent get me the best you can yeah. That's what we would consider commercial. But if Junior came along and said, look, I want to rent that, rent that place, and you said, I'll help you by only charging you this much, then it's not commercial and arm's length rent. Mm. Interesting. Well, you are a wealth of knowledge, aren't you? Well, call it experience, I suppose. So. Yeah, you are. Well, thank you so much, Nello, for your wealth of information. If real estate right listeners want to get in touch with you for their tax returns or even talk to you about buying an investment property, how do they get in contact with you? Uh, the best way would be to send an email to admin at belmonts, B-E-L-L-M-O-N-T-S dot com dot au. Contact us on Melbourne 03 8849 And uh, I'm hoping to have a website ready in the next week or two so they can actually Google us and look us up eventually. Yes. Know what that's like. I've um, got mine in the wings just about to be finished. So, yes, all good. So thanks again, Nello, for being part of the Real Estate Right Guest Expert Panel. We will have all your details in our podcast show notes and in our social media. Now, next week, we have one of our favourites, Frank Volantic from Advantage Property Consulting, back on to talk to us about signing that exclusive sales authority and what to look out for. So don't miss it. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production, hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada. 
I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music, and Francis Morello for his voiceover. Real Copyright is a leading real estate copywriting service throughout Melbourne. If you would like your property copywritten by Real Copyright, please book your copy through orders at realcopyright.com.au. If you would like us to help create more valuable real estate information for the people of Melbourne in this podcast, contact sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.